Alrighty, welcome back to the Celtics Lab Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Tabatabai. I'm joined, as always, by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. Gentlemen, how are we? Oh, man. I am swamped right now, Cam. I have got so much stuff going on between school and between trying to settle into my new apartment and between some Divine Sweater stuff, which is heating up. Uh, so I'm, I'm feeling a little swamped, but I'm doing okay. So if you guys don't know, Divine Sweater is Alex's band. If you were listening to the beginning of this podcast, you just heard them. Definitely check them out if you haven't already. I am going to piss you off because I am relaxing. Finally, things are slowing down in my, my orbit of trabajo or work. And yeah, it's been great. I'm loving it. How about you? Well, I'm with Alex. So Alex and my main hustle being high school teaching, we're heating up. Justin's main hustle is Celtic stuff, which means things are slowing down, which is sort of the inspiration for this podcast episode. Nice segue because we are indeed in the midst of the dog days of the NBA offseason. But thankfully, there have been rumblings of trade rumors related to the Celtics. And we're going to get into that in just a moment, specifically the stuff related to Zach Levine. But that got us thinking, if not Bradley Beal, and if not Zach Levine, then who exactly could the Celtics go out and get to build a super team in Boston? So in the lab portion of today's programming, we will talk about possible Boston Celtics super teams, which is similar, but different enough than a podcast we did like three weeks ago. Uh, First, as we're wont to do, we're going to go around the horn and break down the week's news. But before all of that, please, if you haven't rate and subscribe us to your heart's content on whatever app or location you found this podcast, it makes a big difference to us. So thank you in advance for that. So let's, let's talk about Levine. According to the Boston Globe's Gary Washburn, the Celtics might target Zach Levine if there is an inkling that he is ready to move on from Chicago before he becomes a free agent. Rapid reactions, Justin, I know that you you aren't necessarily picking up what Gary is putting down. I mean, I would love for this to happen, but it seems to me that this is just, you know, the next best guy on the list or maybe a favor to an agent for Gary. Uh, try to put a little pressure on Chicago's front office to get an extension done for Levine. Mm-hmm. We can talk about extensions later. One of them screwed up part of my lab uh, portion of the programming. <laughs> and like, realistically, this is going to be a fairly difficult thing to make happen, even if he does want to come to Boston. And, you know, it's just like, again, the same problem we always have where if you're going to sign this person outright, you'd have to move a bunch of people because he's a younger player with, I think, only seven years experience, it would be a little cheaper for a max contract. Presumably, he wouldn't be taking any less. I don't see why he would. Uh, so it's theoretically possible to to strip the team down enough to actually sign him, but it would be very, very difficult, and I very, very much doubt that would be the plan. A sign and trade would be much more possible, as is the case with all these other rumors. You could do it without uh, Marcus Smart, which is pretty attractive and still have a fairly decent team left over. But again, a lot of things have to slap snap into place for this to actually happen. And I am, shall we say, particularly skeptical. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you, Justin. I'm not buying it. It just seems to me that there's too many moving parts to really make this work. And my thing is that Levine would also have to want to come to Boston. And I don't really get the sense that, that's, uh, that we would be a realistic destination for him. If Levine leaves the Bulls, which I think is possible... Uh, I think he would probably be looking to one of the West Coast teams in all likelihood for his free agency targets. And I don't think that's crazy because the thing is, I so 
we've talked a lot about Bradley Beal in these past few episodes, and I am pretty on board with the Celtics making a hard push for Bradley Beal should that become an option. But that's because I view Beal's game as being fairly complementary to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum's in that Beal is a downhill scorer and shooter who can also pass and do other things on offense. Levine is a pure scorer who needs the ball in his hands to be at his most effective. And when he does have it, he's really good. I think Zach Levine is a good basketball player, but he will need a ton of shots to make that work. And I kind of feel like the idea of Jalen Brown and Zach Levine together strikes me as challenging because I think they have some redundancies to their game that would be harder to work out than with Beal, who I think has a little bit more going on in his offensive toolkit. Yeah, I mean, I think the way I read it is not necessarily from any of those frames, which are appropriate frames, but I want to see another season of Zach Levine doing what he did this past season because defensively he's really uh, a liability as far as I can tell. And then the offensive game is increasingly looking like it's polished and meaningful, but if that's sustainable or he was a little bit of a flash in the pan last year or the last 18 months, I'm not sure. So uh, I actually would kind of not even touch Levine right now without seeing a little bit more out of him because the fit I can talk myself into, but only if it's peak Levine, if it's mostly what we've seen out of him in his NBA career, then it's not as interesting to me. There is a, a case to be made that he can defend when he really is bought in and wants to, as he can. He's got the body for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he demonstrated he can in Tokyo, but I mean, throughout the course of a season and more particularly in the postseason, when it really matters, is he going to have the energy to show up and do that on a night to night basis? I think it's fair to doubt it still. Yeah. It it is nice that he's uh, roughly the same age as the Jays. So they would be maturing together. And to that end, I mean, playing defenses, I assume, a bit of a, a learning curve by way of maturity. So it's not off the table, but it doesn't sound like any one of us really believes the rumor or is super motivated by it. Right. All right. Well, let's talk about another rumor that uh, came out uh, in the past few days, which is that according to reporting from the athletic, that the Celtics offered multiple first round picks for Detroit's Jeremy Grant back at the deadline, which I think we got the buzz, but this is just more proof positive that that was indeed on the Celtics radar. So, uh, Alex, I'll go to you first. First of all, what do you think of the, learning that news? And then second of all, what do you think of the possibility that the Celtics try again? Um, I think that the Celtics might have made the offer for Jeremy Grant, and I get why I really like Jeremy Grant's player and think that he is both good and on a really good contract that is probably undervaluing just how much he impacts the game. Um, But I never got the sense that this was real, even at the time that it was happening. I think that Detroit is aware of the fact that Jeremy Grant is both very good and on a good contract. And we have to keep in mind with Grant, you know, there's a really good piece on, uh, I think it was undefeated um, from a while back talking about Grant's decision to sign in Detroit. And he went on the low post and did an interview uh, in which he attested to this, but Grant really cared about having a black front office uh, and signing with a team that had a black GM and a black coach. uh, And, you know, in addition to his connections to the area, 
So I get the sense that Jeremy wanted to be in Detroit, which is kind of a rarity for a lot of NBA free agents. And I think Detroit wants Jeremy Grant to be on their team. I don't think that it's necessarily a guarantee that he's there long-term as they kind of enter the Kate Cunningham era. But I think they view him as a pretty important bridge piece into that era. So I would, I would bet that, uh, the Celtics might've offered multiple firsts, uh, been turned down. And I think Jeremy Grant, it might be true that he might be gettable, but I think the price is really high, probably higher than most reasonable offers would be for him. Mm -hmm. Justin, what are your thoughts? Uh, I don't have too much to add to that. I mean, maybe there is the tiniest sliver of a chance that after another season, he becomes unhappy And maybe even tinier sliver he cares about Ime Udoka being hired in Boston. That might actually make him vaguely interested in playing in Boston. But I I also agree. I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. He will be 27 this season and making just about $20 million flat. And the next season, he'll be making just under $21 million. So reasonably attainable contracts. It is interesting if that reporting is to be believed that – the Pistons didn't want to like open the floodgates and tank. I mean, it worked out well for them anyways. And that they weren't motivated by future assets because Grant did really part of my French, like play his balls off last season for stretches. I mean, someone had to shoot the ball in Detroit. So maybe that was part of it, but he looked he played great. I mean, he played great against us. That was what really stood out to me is Grant in the games that the Celtics played against the Pistons last year, Grant had stretches where he looked like he was the best guy on the court with, you know, a bunch of great players out there. So, Yeah, it's, um, it's curious because this is kind of a, a half-baked thought, but I don't really understand how Grant, Jalen, and Jason could all thrive together, uh, especially at those salaries. So if any of the whispers that the Celtics would trade Jalen Brown are true. Maybe that is part of a bigger puzzle, but that's a, a new and incomplete thought. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think if they traded for Grant, they would almost use him as a kind of stretch five and play a super small lineup, which would be interesting, but I love I'm not that. sure. I'd be so into the Celtics leading some sort of revolution, predominantly off the court, but if it's the super small ball one, that's good enough for me. All right. So we'll get back into rumory stuff and daydreaming and window shopping in a second but let's just close out the the week that was and we're making light of it but some pretty big boston celtic stuff happened down in springfield by way of the hall of fame so bill russell was introduced or inducted as a coach the fifth player ever i think or person ever to be player and coach in the hall of fame uh he got an intro speech from a nice man named barack obama i'm not sure if you're familiar with that name paul pierce friend of the podcast i assume inducted i'll ask for your highlights in just a moment and uh mike gorman was inducted as a broadcaster so i'm curious what your thoughts are either about pierce or gorman i will say that pierce is so funny on instagram and kevin garnett is so confusing and confounding and that was my takeaway from the weekend um i actually want to talk about neither gorman nor pierce but uh bill russell being inducted as a coach because i have to say i think this this one it smacks me it's crazy that this hadn't happened already bill russell is one of the four or five most important people ever to play or be involved in the nba in any capacity and for him not to have been inducted in both uh a coach and player role 
up to this point really is crazy to me. So well, wasn't good he the job. First, wasn't he the first black coach ever in the NBA? He was the first black coach. Yeah, so that feels overdue. Yeah, a bit, and a little bit. So I guess good job on the NBA for recognizing it and addressing it now. Better late than never. But this kind of seems like something that should have happened a few years ago, to say the least. And then just briefly on Gorman, you know, Gorman is one of the best in the biz and has been for a really long time. Uh, I I think it's kind of a shame that uh, Tommy Heinsohn didn't get inducted as a broadcaster with him because those two were a pretty inseparable pair. But I do think that Gorman deserves to be recognized on his own for just how consistently great he's been at the job. So long time coming on that one as well. With Pierce, we all knew that was going to happen. He's the first ballot Hall of Famer, so... And speaking of someone who was already inducted as a player and as a coach, Tommy Hines. Mm-hmm. Justin, um, I saw a lot of people are sharing Mike Gorman stories about how good of a guy he is. And uh, Brian Robb, for example, shared a nice little Twitter thread. And I echo all the sentiments, obviously. Do you have any Mike Gorman stories or thoughts just as someone who's been in the biz? Um, You know, he is now the 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 elder statement uh, of the Celtics. He's kind of taken that helm uh, from, from Tommy. And mm-hmm. I don't have any personal anecdotes just because I have not been in the media side of things uh, for all that long, only a couple of years uh, with any kind of seriousness. But I'm really happy that he, he did get in. I am also of the mind that uh, it's really stupefying, is almost as stupefying uh, that you would exclude Tommy in this award as Russell being excluded uh, as a coach in the first place. But, you know, I guess maybe they need to space these things out and there's only so many spots to go in year by year, so maybe they're trying to space them out. But it would have been nice if they had done it while he was still alive. I could Actually, I could take it or leave it. I think that Mike Gorman is an immense human being an immense talent uh, and an immense orator but is always one half of a full coin right it's always mike and tommy and for him to get in and have a moment in the sun even if all of his other moments in the sun came with tommy heinson i think is valuable although maybe gorman would disagree and say actually yeah it was mike and tommy all the way through so i i'm just really proud and happy to have mike gorman as part of the celtics orbit because just like, first of all, an iconic Boston accent. Um, he, I think NBC Sports Boston has like a, an interview with him on one of their documentaries yeah. Yeah. talking about like sneaking into Celtics games as a kid from Dorchester. And now he's, I mean, he's the heart and soul. So just tremendous, good feels all around. Um, interactions with Ray Allen between Paul Pierce and I never actually saw Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen interact, but supposedly they sat together. Yeah, there there were several people asking each other if anyone had seen that across the media. And as far as I'm aware, uh, if they did interact, it was brief and civil, which is, to be completely honest, all I want. You know, I mean, I don't need them to be best buddies again. They can feel however they want to feel. I just don't want there to be this constant cloud hanging over that era that, you know, we all really hold special. Yeah, I don't know. I have coworkers that I never want to see again. Yeah, it's fine. That's <laughs> fine. But I mean, in the context of, of the sport. You know, it's so interesting that uh, not to stay on this for too long, because we've beaten this topic to death over the years. Who hasn't? 
I mean, it's just so interesting to me because like people act like there's this like big beef between Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett. That was a direct result of Ray, you know, going through the Miami Heat. And they really kind of brush over the fact that like Ray and KG and Pierce were never best of friends, even when they were on the team together. And that was pretty public knowledge. I think Ray kind of came in somewhat as a mercenary. And I don't know when, when, when Ray's free agency was up, uh, and he was available. I, for one, remember thinking like it's not unreasonable to think that he could go somewhere else here. I mean, I get that going to the arch rival in Miami likely hurt KG and Paul uh, on an emotional level, and that's fair enough. But it's not like these guys were like best buds off the court, even when Ray was here. Yeah, I mean, in that uh, that season of the association, there's like so much about like Rondo and Perk and. KG and the the pack and then there's like a, a scene where Ray Allen goes tie shopping so like clearly he was not super yeah. well integrated whatever if Ray Allen is basketball Johnny Damon that's fine or not Johnny Damon uh, Jacoby Ellsbury screw you Jacoby Ellsbury <laughs> anyways uh, a couple other things uh Jan Madar who probably will not play for the Celtics this season has been lighting it up he nearly had a triple double the other day he had a 19.7 assist game in, uh, in just the first two games with uh, Partizan Nis, NIS. NIS, NIS, I think. I could be wrong, but as far as I've never heard anyone say it, so we're going to some trails gonna, here. I don't think anyone's going to have a problem with us not being sure. And then the Celtics brought in Anthony Brown uh, for a workout. So he was drafted by the Lakers with a 34th pick back in 15. He played there. He played with New Orleans, Orlando, and Minnesota. He was stinky from three, to say the least, but uh, having played now in Europe, he has been shooting between 42.5 to 46 per half, almost 47% uh, from three, from a pretty high volume. Any thoughts on Anthony Brown and if he, Luke Cornett, or Juwan Morgan have reason to worry about their futures as Celtics? I mean, I'm not really sure that uh, Anthony Brown has much of a future as a Celtic, to be perfectly honest. Uh, it seemed like he played well in Europe and they're going to give him a look. But, you know, and, and I mean, maybe it works out for him or maybe he goes to another team. But when Anthony Brown was in the NBA, he didn't really leave much of a mark. So, Well, like Cornette, he only, well, he only, he has four years experience in the NBA. So as far as I am aware, he's not actually eligible for the two-way slot. Which leads me to think that this Joan Morgan fellow is going to be the more likely of the three. If any of the three end up sticking, we could see some new people shake loose from another team into sure. the picture. And you know, if any of these three make the team, they have they have their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, we could talk about them, but no one cares. Because there's a very small chance that any of them are going to end up on the team in the first place. I think if one of the three does, it's going to be Cornette just because he's already familiar with the system. Uh, but that would entail waving Mr. Jabari Parker because, again, the non-two-way eligibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, one last thing that I don't even know if it's relevant by the t- right now, let alone when this publishes. Dennis Schroeder is having a public poll for fans to pick his jersey number, which is pretty fun. Uh, so... If you're interested in that and that poll is still live, go check it out. Anyways, I don't think people are here to listen to us talk about Luke Cornett or, no offense, Alex, or Dennis Schroeder's jersey. What they are here for is what we have meticulously put in our headlines to make you click on things, which is to talk about trades that will never happen. So the frame is this, that a few weeks ago we thought, okay, if not Bradley Beal, 
who are the Celtics going to go get to build a super team? And now it's, if not Bradley Beal, which that doesn't feel like there's momentum right now. And if not Zach Levine, it doesn't feel like there's momentum really for that. What the hell are the Celtics going to do if they feel like they need to build a super team to compete? So the parameters are a super team is, I guess, nominally some sort of big three or something that looks like, oh, this is a 2K team, that kind of uh, mentality. We have stretched those definitions because having now done this thought exercise a few times, there are not that many gettable big name talents that make sense for the Celtics. And maybe some of our ideas will, will really shine light on that. So that's the frame. We haven't discussed these. These we're breaking these to each other. So our reactions are, we'll, we'll react to these ones are real and honest. So who wants to go first? I can go first if we need. I'll go first with my spoiled example, which would be Aaron Gordon. I criminally underrated how much the Nuggets uh, valued him. Uh, By now, you've all known that he has signed a, I think it's an 82 or 88 million. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head, but 80 plus million uh, for your extension. And well, it seemed in my mind because of the relatively poor offensive season he had with the Nuggets, it could be an issue of fit that he would have been, you know, something that could have fit into the TPE, allowing them to use some of that flexibility they've created with expiring contracts Uh, on Juancho Hernan Gomez, for example, to kind of cut salary. Maybe if you need to continue to waive salary, you could even get rid of Al's contract. You know, I'm not suggesting you want to, but you know, there are ways that you could bring him on without becoming an incredibly expensive team, the way that the Celtics have structured their their contracts this off season. Uh, And, the whole idea of this is that you you believe in Gordon's defense and you believe in his ability to to at least come along acceptably as an offensive threat in some way to fit in Boston's system. I know he's got a lot of fans out there. Jared Weiss uh, of the Athletic Front of the Pod is definitely a big fan of this idea, but that's not going to happen. So, uh, for what it's worth, Aaron Gordon is only twenty six, I believe, which feels impossible. Uh, I also don't think it's going to happen because of the rules, but Denver is a team that is going to be very expensive and expensive teams that don't win run into problems. So I think, I don't think the names I'm about to say qualify or ruin any of our ideas, but like John Wall, Ben Simmons, maybe Dame, maybe Michael Porter Jr. or Jamal Murray are eventual dominoes that could stir the pot perhaps for a litany of reasons. But uh, I have other dominoes that I want to save for my idea. So Alex, you want to go for yours? Sure. Would you like me to do the big sexy trade that's not going to happen or the not quite as sexy trade that maybe, maybe, maybe could happen, but probably won't? Let's build it up. Yeah. Okay. So, all my trades are sexy. What do I do? <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Give me just one. So... The trade that I have, the the less sexy, maybe slightly more plausible trade uh, is this. So I was thinking about big threes of the past and the big three that kind of came to mind immediately for me. And the one that I think ultimately the Celtics aspirational goal should be to model after is um, the former Heatles Miami Heat big three with uh, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. Now, I think Tatum in the LeBron role works. I think that um, Jalen Brown in a kind of 
nominally weighed role also works. Uh, the, the question then for the Celtics is where do they find their Chris Bosch, so Can I to guess? speak? Sure, throw a guess out there. Why not? Is it Sabonis? It's not Sabonis. Sabonis does not strike me as a Bosch. Um, the player that I settled on as the Celtics potential Chris Bosch, and this, you also, I, I was in thinking about this, I wanted to get the Mario Chalmers in there as well, because <laughs> you need a Mario Chalmers if you're going to do a Heatles. Um, in a couple of years, two years to be exact, Christian Wood of the Houston Rockets is going to be Whoa. a free agent. Damn Christian, it. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. You're a genius, my friend. You're a genius. Continue. <laughs> Creative. So Christian Wood is going to be a free agent in two years. The Rockets are currently in the middle of a deep, deep rebuild. And uh-huh. it seems if we're going to believe these rumors about John Wall, uh, it sure seems like they have no interest in winning anytime really in the near future. And so with that in mind, I constructed a deal around the following players. Christian Wood and Seth Curry go to the Boston Celtics. Seth Curry then being the Chalmers role. That's so mean. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Crazy, right? Uh, Al Horford is shipped out to Houston to be a vet mentor for their young guys, along with Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, a first-round pick in 2025 that's top three protected, and a 2023 first-rounder for the Houston Rockets. And this is where it gets crazy. So there's another team that we've mentioned here. Seth Curry is currently on the 76ers. And so as such, the 76ers will need to be involved in this trade. 76ers have another guy who is probably going to be involved in trades relatively soon and who might need a fresh start on a team with a budding young superstar in Jalen Green. So I have Ben Simmons getting flipped to the Houston Rockets in exchange for John Wall, Kevin Porter Jr., Aaron Neesmith from the Celtics, Two first-rounders, one of Houston's Brooklyn picks from the James Harden deal, and one of their picks in 2023, and a Celtics pick in 2027. This is a crazy and very difficult deal to pull off, but my rationale is this. The Celtics get their Mario Chalmers and their Chris Bosh in the form of Seth Curry and Christian Wood. The Rockets get to jumpstart the deep rebuild with a franchise-building star cornerstone in Ben Simmons, as well as a couple of picks, and they get some movable salary in Horford Richardson. And the Philadelphia 76ers, in their desperation, in their hour of need to get off of Ben Simmons, turn to the worst contract in the NBA, John Wall, as possible trade salary filler, uh, take a big flyer on Kevin Porter Jr., who was pretty good at the end of last year, albeit on a not very good basketball team. Aaron Neesmith as well, and then get insurance in the form of three first round picks that they can flip while opening up space for Tyrese Maxey to be their point guard of the future. It's big, it's messy, it's crazy, but it's super fun. So that's my trade. I love it. My version was very similar in terms of the target, but uh, much simpler in terms of I just throw a boatload of picks at them uh, along with a choice of two of the younger, more promising talents on the roster for the same reasons you outlined. Uh, I do know someone who is familiar with the thinking of the front office who believes that they would actually move on from him, that they would want something like a Simmons coming back or a boatload of picks or something, something pretty substantial if they're going to let go of him. Because he is only, I think, 27 years old. So he is theoretically young enough to make it through a rebuild. 
Um, I'm just going to piggyback right into this with my. Well, I, I have a question. Just yeah, knock it out. Can anyone off the top of their head remember if Daryl Morey did the John Wall trade or was that after Morey left? I feel like there was Morey. If that was pre Morey. I think Morey was did it? do the John Wall. No, no, you're right. That was after Morey left. Um, I mean, I really don't know the answer. Morey did the Westbrook trade, but uh, I think Raphael Stone did the John Wall trade. Okay, because I was going to say that that could become relevant in your trade, Alex. Um, yeah, JQ, if yours is relevant, go for it. Um, no, it's actually not particularly relevant. It is my least favorite of the three that I constructed. Uh, and it really, that's just mostly because it requires Toronto being talked into Al Horford's contract because theoretically you could trade for this player, uh, but it would either involve trading Marcus Smart, in which case I wouldn't do it, uh, or just cobbling together so many contracts to make it to a CBA legal trade that it's just very unlikely to happen in the first place. And yeah. that would be Pascal Siakam. And oh, boo. I know, I know. <laughs> but friend of the pod, Michael Pina, uh, just, you know, saying his praises as an underappreciated uh, potential uh, talent in the league. And we know for a fact he's not a good first option. We have very strong evidence. You can you know? be Chris Boshi, actually, to Alex's point. Exactly. And you know, he can move the ball. He can defend very well. The shooting, it's questionable for the last two seasons. Before last season, he had a, a solid, if not, you know, impressive three-pointer. If you believe in that possibility and you think that you can find some other thing to package with Al Horford, whether it's all of our picks that they will you know, conceivably want uh, or a young talent or both, who knows, um, you could construct something like this. Uh Again, I'm not real crazy about it because there's a lot of ifs and a lot of things that need to go right in terms of, of him playing with the Celtics as well. But for plausible candidates, it's one of the only ones I can think of besides ones we've already talked about. I think you just talked me into it. Uh, well, I think Alex with the Bosch thing did. Um, it's expensive, but... Very. That's another I, downside. Okay, well, I'm going to I'm gonna go now because I have a Raptors-related one, but I was pretty low on Siakam and thinking through this. Okay. Uh, financially, this is a little iffy and it would need a few months for contracts to allow, but here's what I came up with. Um, uh, Fred Van Fleet goes to the Celtics. Josh Richardson and Sabonis and a Celtics first rounder go to Toronto. Siakam and Schroeder go to Indiana and Miles Turner gets dumped to like OKC or something. Um, Indiana feels like a team that needs to make a trade because they're really expensive. This doesn't alleviate that problem really for them, but it does feel like a team that has a few redundant pieces, a few overpaid pieces and needs to make a move. I don't actually think that they're going to ship out Sabonis and Turner, but I wonder if they could addition by subtraction, talk themselves into Siakam. And through all of that, the Celtics get uh, Fred Van Fleet, which is, the cheapest, most low-rent super team I could possibly come up with, but it I'll cheat and I'll say also uh, Jason Tatum just became an MVP candidate and there's your super team. So uh, I have sexier trades that I think will more qualify for the frame that I myself offered, but that was my related trade to that. I got robbed and I got robbed twice, first by Shams <laughs> and then by Alex. Yeah. So sorry, the, Justin. The shams of the Celtics. Have come to me. You are great, great minds think alike, as you said. Or there's just not that many people to trade for right now. So, 
I, I'm going to go next just because my next trade is related to the one I just laid down. I really think that Indiana is going to do something sometime because that's not a, a team that loves to spend and it's just like an, an intensely expensive team. I think the smart money is on them breaking up Turner and Sabonis and also because Miles Turner is overpaid. But I have something that does not necessarily do that, which is that the Celtics trade for Malcolm Brogdon. They trade to Indiana Schroeder, Richardson, Neesmith, and as many first-round picks as it takes. Well, not as many, like two, but uh, two, maybe two in a, in a swap to go get Malcolm Brogdon. In terms of salary, it's cl- cutting it close and might be kind of complicated for the Celtics, but I do think it's possible. So that is my framework for uh, a big old trade. And I actually, I have another big Pacers trade, but I'll save that for that very end. I like Brogdon. I mean, I just say stunned, stunned silence. (laughs) I I just think Brogdon is a wonderful player and, you know, I just wish he could stay healthy, but I'm always down for some Malcolm Brogdon. That dude's tough as nails and pretty good at a variety of aspects of the game. On the streets with Jalen Brown last summer, uh, protesting against systemic racism. Another big selling point of that plantar fasciitis does scare me. Uh, Alex, do you have any more trades? I do. I have one insane trade. Uh, This trade is predicated on a reality that probably is not going to happen, but uh, at the very least merits some consideration, I think. So, um, you know, free agents and free agents to be uh, a lot of people in the league are kind of unhappy in their situation. And that's usually how big crazy trades out of nowhere uh, seem to pop up. And, you know, if we're looking at the free agent uh, situation that happened this past year, I think you can argue that as it stands in the current offseason, TBD, we'll see what else happens. But as it stands, there are few teams that have lost the offseason harder than the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, they had a really bad offseason. Maybe Devonta Graham is great, but I kind of am mm-hmm. not betting on it. Uh, they whiffed pretty hard on the Kyle Lowry sweepstakes and they're just kind of floating as teams in the West rise and fall and continue to get better. You know, you've got Luka Doncic is coming up. You've got the Lakers loading up for another run at the title. I don't think the Clippers are going to be, I, I mean, they'll be worse without Kawhi Leonard, but I don't think they're going to like fall off the face of the earth. There's a lot of good teams out West. And unfortunately for the Pelicans, I kind of don't see them going anywhere in the current pecking order. Now, some of you might be thinking, listening to this, well, you know, there's some natural trade candidates on the Pelicans, Brandon Ingram, you know, folks like that. But to this, I would posit the following question. What if Zion Williamson conveys to the front office that he does not intend to re-sign the qualifying offer for the new, or that he intends to rather take the qualifying offer and turn down the biggest extension possible in the belief that getting to a bigger market and getting a better situation around him will make him more money and more security in the future. It would be unprecedented. It would be an earth shattering, league shaking kind of move. But Zion has, if rumors are to be believed, uh, he has displayed some frustration with how things are going in New Orleans. And I don't think right. it's necessarily a guarantee that he's going to be a happy camper there going forward. Now, a lot of players sign the extension and then ask for the trade later because it's guaranteed money. But 
if mm-hmm. things unravel to the point where they are that bad in New Orleans and where Zion is ready to move on as early as this year, the Celtics could throw something of a godfather offer at the Pelicans in the following. Uh, they could throw Robert Williams, Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard, 2026 first, 2024 first, and 2022 first with two pick swaps in 2023 and 2025. In effect, five first round picks and all of the Celtics' young upside players for Zion Williamson and Tomas Sadoransky for salary filler. <laughs> I love um, the inclusion of Sadoransky. <laughs> yes, inexplicably, Tomas Sadoransky has to be in this trade to make it work. Um, but this trade is, of course, not going to happen at all. But I was just trying to think of the craziest, biggest three that I could make. And a big three of Zion, Jalen, and Jason would ruin the league for a decade. So that's where I went with that. Now, I, I do think that they have, you know, their fair share of draft picks over there under uh, yeah. David Griffin. <laughs> they are only trailing OKC by maybe a half dozen picks, which sounds like a lot, <laughs> but really considering how many they both have, it's not that many. Uh, I could actually, and I don't want this to happen, but I could actually see them saying yes, something that includes Jalen Brown with a similar offer in it instead. And the thought of Zion and Jason Tatum a lot of strike fear into people's hearts as well. Uh, Plus they got that Duke thing going on, right? Yeah. Yeah. You got a point there. huh? Yeah. I don't know. That wasn't on the, on the schedule, but um, I'm kind of <laughs> like trying to, you know, not get too into it. Cause I love me some Jalen. Well, I will say that um, anytime a Celtic, a room, a trade rumor pops up, the Celtics are going to be linked to it just because that's the mystique around the team. And I think everyone has decided they are a move away. And so if Alex is right, which I, I think there's a good chance you are that Zion at least flirts with, if not openly agitates for a trade re- request, even if the Celtics aren't the team that lands Zion, they could be the team get, that gets Julius Randall because he goes to New York or something like that. So if there's a Zion sweepstakes, I don't know that the Celtics have the best offer, but I do think that they could get become involved. Um, so very fascinating. I do actually, I have a New Orleans related trade, so good segue. And I'll say to anyone listening who wants to play this game and do this thought experiment, my advice would be to find the teams that have messed up their cap sheet or their free agency situation because they're the ones that will make a move. Teams that are doing well or content kind of spinning their tires, maybe not. So I think that Alex is right in New Orleans messed up and needs to make a move. And so here's what I have going on. And it's also like the weakest possible big three that I could define for the Celtics or a super team. Uh, Alex, DeJounte Murray goes to the Celtics, as does Alfa Rugamino for uh, financial purposes. Brandon Ingram goes to the Spurs. Neesmith, uh, Richardson, and Lonnie Walker go to New Orleans plus a pick, pick or two. I'm never too interested with the picks. I don't know that that qualifies as a super team or a fair trade, but I like it. And if you guys, yeah. I mean, I can jump in and say that I do think that if he stays healthy, DeJounte Murray has fringe all-star upside. I think that guy is really good and can do a lot of different things. Um, I think that it it, it would be interesting. I'm trying to think about like what Brandon Ingram would be like on the Spurs because Brandon Ingram strikes me as exactly the type of dude who is not a Popovich guy. (laughs) <laughs> um, so I'm not, I'm not really sure 
how that one would work out. But anything that gets DeJounte Murray in green is definitely going to catch my attention. Same. Well, also, I really what I really wanted was De'Aaron Fox. But first of all, I already said that, so I didn't want to self-plagiarize uh, from a few weeks ago. But it, whatever's happening in Sacramento seems stupid. Uh, Buddy Hield and De'Aaron Fox should get traded because of the way that they've treated those players. But whatever. Uh, all right, I got one last one that's a real doozy. You guys have any more? Nope. All right, cool. I'll get the last word. Love it. So uh, I might have offered this in public, I know I've said this to you, Alex, that I think that the path to uh, getting a big three in Boston is twofold. First, you do that godfather offer that we've always been talking about with Beal. All the picks, smart, whatever young player anyone wants. And then probably you trade Jalen. So the reason for that is a little bit of positional fit makes sense to me, but then also, I don't know if Jalen's ceiling and Jason's ceiling arrive alongside a third star player necessarily, if that makes sense. Like there just might not be enough. It just doesn't like this. Let me just tell you what I was thinking. So you execute the exact same Brogdon trade that I offered before. Brogdon is the star in the backcourt. You got Tatum uh, on the wing and then Jalen Brown and whatever it takes to go get Carl Anthony Towns. And that's your big three. I think that positionally, hey, Cedric. <laughs> I think positionally it makes sense. I think that allows all of those players to be the, their best selves when healthy. And I think that I would love, love, love to see Jalen Brown finish his career in a Celtics uniform. And I think he could do so fruitfully and alongside Jason Tatum. That's not what I'm suggesting, but I think the path to uh, a big proper super team might see Jalen leave Boston at some point. And I'm happy to consider towns as, as the big kahuna who makes it all happen. I'm going to throw one more thought in, in that what if we already have a big three? We just don't know yet. Who's the third? Are you talking about us? Us three? Robert Williams. <laughs> yes. And of course. That's what I'm talking about, Justin. Yes, sir. <laughs> not, you, not you, me, and Alex. <laughs> I mean, medium three. Medium three. Yeah, we're working we're on big, We're a different sort of big three. Yes. All right. Well, on that bombshell, we did create a super team. We didn't have to do anything. So good job at us. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Rate and subscribe if you haven't. Uh, go get our t-shirts. <laughs> Maybe. Um, double check you're ordering the right one. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening. Yes.